So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. And here we are back with another episode of the Running Rugby podcast and we'll just go through some of the most recent news, um, probably the most depressing and serious news. Uh, we were unfortunate to hear that Todd Kefu, former Wallaby great and current head coach of Tonga, um, involved in uh, a breaking entry into his house and has sustained some reasonably serious injuries to him and his wife and kids. Um, he's been in hospital uh, so we wish him all the best and hopefully to recover soon. In other very depressing news, uh, the Wallabies slumped to a second straight Bledisloe defeat, a 19th straight year um, without the Bledisloe trophy coming back to Australian shores here. That was in Eden Park over uh, the weekend and another record-breaking defeat, at least in points scored against the Wallabies at Eden Park. Not quite the biggest defeat we've had. Um, that going back to ANZ Stadium last year where we suffered a 38-point defeat. Toby, Leo, you're both here. Are you as depressed as I am? Yeah, totally. I think I've got to a point now where even this last game, like I'm kind of pushing it out of my mind. Like this week's been it's been a t- tough start to it, obviously, with the Kefu news and coming off the back of the weekend like that. Um, yeah, I just don't really want to think about rugby, if I'm honest. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing. I think we see signs, saw signs in the first game, first half. We we kept it really close. We looked like we were competitive, and then we lost grip on the game. And then to come back this week and have a, I, I think it was a worse performance. Um, more more just basic errors, decision making. Um, it's like to not to not see improvement, to have a few changes and sort of think what what was the what was the value of those changes. Um, it's just frustrating. I, I still feel like you get more out of keeping the same group together through adversity, and and, and you know you might suffer a few losses, but how much better would that team be if they at least all played together in the same? same situations for, for a lot of years. Um, just, it just continues the merry-go-round that you, that you kick off with bad results. So probably more change to come, probably another, you know, another center combination or different forward rotation. And I really, I think we had it right in the first game. So I'm disappointed they changed it and I'm disappointed with the result. So this ended up 57 to 22 at half time. It was only six points in at 15 to 21. Um, I asked to see the Wallabies change and maintain that intensity through the end of uh, the half and the beginning of the second half. We got that uh, in the end of the first half with the Wallabies going to successive scrums, forcing multiple all black penalties um, with Tate getting over after a reasonably dominant scrum as well. Uh, and then we looked like we were doing the similar thing in the start of the second half, 
um, we're putting pressure on the All Blacks down in their quarter. We get the yellow card result with Artie Savier going off. But then instead of turning that into points, we end up going down 10 points in, that, in those 10 minutes, uh, which is probably the most disappointing part for me because we really had a, a chance there to um, get in front on the scoreboard and start applying a little bit of that scoreboard pressure that we haven't been able to do for a long time against the All Blacks. So, yeah, yeah, we conceded 10 and then immediately another converted try. It was, it was 17 points within about 12 minutes. Like, they just they just don't play any worse one player down. And that, that was the opportunity to really turn the screws. The refs got, the, got his eye on, on their play and, and is penalising it finally. Um, yeah, I did feel a little bit stiffed in the first half. There was a couple of instances where we were, we were pushing hard. We were crossing the game line, making metres, and they were pretty much infringing deliberately right near their line. And the refs have gotten so in this habit of, you know, two, three penalties and then the warning comes and then the next one's supposed to be a card. Well, when something's that deliberate, if you know that the refs are going to give you two or three chances, of course you're going to infringe to hold the game up, which is exactly what they did twice. There needs to be more action to go, go that's deliberate, straight to a yellow card. Um. I mean, that's, it's not an excuse, but it is, it, I feel like it, it plays into the way the All Blacks um, play their game. When they know they're under pressure, they're willing to do that. I'm not sure we are. I feel like when we infringe, we're still trying to do our best and we just get caught in the wrong spot. I think they're much more tactical. We're not that smart about it. It's interesting because I think that period after halftime where we did come out really strong and then it just fell apart for 20 minutes and four tries, if you... You know, disregarding the yellow card, I think you know, that that change in mindset. I don't know if we felt the pressure that we had to score whilst they were down a man, and and that's where we came unstuck. But having avoided, you know, a bad end to the first half by Tate scoring and looking like we're not going to concede each each side of half time, we just let things fall apart after you know about the forty fifth minute mark um, in this game. And it just makes me forget all the good things we did early on in the game. Like, obviously, recency bias is that we were terrible. But there were periods in this game where we did really good things. And it was just, again, a few stupid errors, um, bad decision-making on our part that really made this unravel. Um, We dominated possession in the game. We dominated territory. And the stats in a lot of areas are quite similar. They had more unforced errors, things of that nature. So, you know, a 35-point margin in some ways doesn't do the game justice, but I think it's kind of, it's a wake-up call to us. If we're going to make that bad decisions with these cutout passes that, you know, trying to go wide too early, Tamura and Noah were guilty of, that's all it takes against the All Blacks. We can't afford to give them those opportunities at all during a game or never get the result we're after. Yeah, and that again, that highlights that the stats say a lot of good things for the Wallabies, but it just takes those couple of critical poor decisions and the All Blacks go length of the field. And, it, that, you know, again, the stats don't pick that up as much. That's, that's one line break or one missed tackle for us, but it's seven points. Um, we need to be better. We, we, we do look good when we're carrying the ball, when we're rolling multiple phases, when we're not trying to push um, the ball too wide quickly because I just don't think we have the skill to, to throw those passes and, and we're making poor decisions. We need to bottle that up a little bit 
and just play through the middle third more because our forwards, guys like Valentini and Swinton were were really rolling in this game. Like Valentini rolling over Artie Sevilla a couple of times. He looked like an Artie Sevilla, like that just wild running style with, with the momentum behind him. It was great. Um, and then, you know, the backs throw it out wide and try and push to the edge. The All Blacks are smarter than that. They, they know what our weaknesses are and we throw a hell of a lot of loopy passes. It's just, you know, flipping the coin and seeing if it makes it. And when it hits the ground and in the rain, the All Blacks just scoop it up and run off with it. Yeah, it's, it's just really depressing to see that when you know we've put in 90% of the work to, to get down the field. So what are, if any, positives we can take out of this two-match series in New Zealand? Obviously a week off and then we're back in Perth again against the All Blacks. Positives, players that we can sort of look to now that have showed their standing, improved their standing? Andrew Killaway, like, has, has come out and had two great games. Three tries has, in two games. Yeah, I mean, the tries are great. Like, he'll always take those, but... His defense, like the, the way he's, um, you know, positioning himself, he's using the sideline wells as, as a buffer for himself out on the wing. He was going high on guys who were looking to offload and then he was going low around the legs once he'd held them up and the support had arrived. Like he was, he was making really good decisions. Um, and he's just come on like he was, a, he was a, for me, like an out-of-the-dark pick. Um, at the end of the Super Rugby season to make the squad, and then he was on the bench, and you saw like, oh, what does he, what does he bring? Like, you haven't seen anything really outlandish from him, and maybe that's because he was stuck at the Rebels, right? Like, who was going to give him anything to work with there last season? Um, and he's just looked great. He's looked solid. Um, we can we can have a player like that on one wing who's not a Marika, who's not a um, you know necessarily a, a a one in a million threat at a, at a high ball, but he's just super consistent and he closes off that edge and against the All Blacks that like to play out to the edge. I think that's really important. It'd be very interesting to see how many metres are gained down that side versus through the other parts of the field. I reckon he's really closed that up and he's deserving his spot now. Positives for me, Hooper is again, I think, he's solidified in my mind that he's the best captain choice. He's clearly the best number seven in the country. I think he's come back better, fresher, more energised. He was speaking his mind more in this game, which I liked. It wasn't necessarily effective with the referee, but I think it was good to see him get actively frustrated and and get a little bit more in the referee's ear, which I think he can do, um, you know, on a more consistent basis if he keeps keeps himself calm. Uh, Other positives, I think Tate McDermott, again, is a clear... Are clearly um, number one scrum half at, at nine at the moment. I think he's been a real revelation across the, the last three games. Um, and, yeah, he's so young, so so much growth and potential there for him to kick on. Good to see Nick White back. I think Jake has probably been hampered a bit with injury. And Nick White probably the same, needs game time. Um, and he'll probably see a bit more of that in this third blood as low. But Tate at the moment... He's not doing many things wrong. So that's great for the future. I think our forwards, again, if we hadn't made these changes, I wasn't that wrapped with how Swinton went. I thought he was solid without being spectacular. Um, again, I think Bledisloe won. The forwards that we picked were probably our, our best forward pack. Bar, I think, 
you know, Taniella needs to start. He's looking stale now coming off the bench, looking a bit lost in, in the role that he has. And um, I think he just needs more consistent game time. Or you just see him lose his touch, lose his fitness. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see him start in Bottas 03. A note on the refereeing in this game. Um, and just particularly one thing that I want to highlight is the amount of scrum resets that we saw in this game. And we saw the fact that Brendan Pickerel was happy to reset the scrum once, twice, often three times, even deep into this match, which is really something that I think they've been trying to steer away from. And it really seemed to hamper on just a lack of decisiveness from his part to try and get this game moving a bit faster. I don't even think that's probably what would help the Wallabies. Like that's probably going to help the All Blacks um, more to keep the game sort of faster. We could well have had some more scrum dominance, but I just think overall for the sport, um, there needs to be a bit more clarification. I think early, I think maybe one scrum reset when you... uh, in the beginning sort of, I don't know, beginning of the game when you have new front rowers, maybe when there's subs made, should be allowable. But after that, really, you should be looking to play on or just give, even if it's a short-arm penalty um, for these things, with not taking another scrum as an option. I mean, that would be a rule change. But the the idea of having more short-arms to really put pressure on the opposition, you're relying on the referees having a good read of what's going on. But if, if they are, if they're getting some support from the sidelines as well, yeah, by all means, short arm, because in a lot of situations, particularly in your attacking half, you're probably going to opt for another scrum. Um, and that just means that when it gets um, escalated to a full arm penalty, the other teams had the warning. And I don't know if I agree, Arch. I reckon our scrums are solid enough that, that we, can, we can have a bit of a battle there, particularly if Taniella starts and you develop that that um, dominance in the first half and then as people fatigue, you, you if you've had a couple of penalties go your way, it tends to keep rolling until oh, they roll the yeah. subs. I, but, mean, but like, for resets, I mean, like having a faster game probably doesn't um, give us any benefit over the All Blacks compared possibly. to a game like with more... Strength. But I think our guys have, have spent a lot of time on fitness too. So I, I'd be willing to let it, to, to see it. And um, I mean, if if the trade-off is that the game can be a bit faster, but we get a little bit more, um, a little bit more of the turnover penalty decisions, like that's that's probably a good trade-off as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's it's frustrating watching the minutes tick by. Like I think in in certain parts of the second half, you, I was watching this on replay. Unfortunately, I couldn't watch it live, um, and I was able to skip sort of 40 seconds in chunks because it was just reset, you know, fast forward, reset, fast forward, reset. And suddenly two minutes is gone. And like it's a decent amount of game time, particularly getting late in the game. Um, If the margins were closer and teams are trying to get on with the game, they really just need to make a decision and back themselves. And if they're getting it wrong, then they need some help. So the result of this is uh, Australia drops to seventh in the world. We drop below Argentina. There's been a huge outcry. Um, for changes need to be made from a fundamental selection basis in Australia. The biggest which people are calling for is um, abolishing the Gitto law and just putting in a, a statement that anyone from anywhere in the world who's eligible for Australia can be selected. So we open up uh, selections to 
say Will Skelton. Will Skelton, yeah. Um, to Will Skelton from France, the Arnold brothers in France, Sean McMahon in Japan, oh. uh, Sam McGrady, even though he is being brought back in, in any case, Tadafu Pilota now as a hooker, BPA when he leaves um, this year, um, people like um, Isaac Lucas in Japan or Quaid and Genia, if you did need those extra people. So guys... Uh. What what are your guys' impressions on this potential for a law change? And if it came in, if it came in mid rugby championship, what changes would you like to see? I mean, is it a law change though? It's like a it's a policy change, right? Yeah. Rugby, rugby Australia, Australia can do whatever policy. they want, and and if they've weighed it up, like it's definitely you're compromising. You were compromising when you brought it in, and you're now compromising when you remove it and make everyone eligible. So you're not you're not restricting players and, and saying we want you playing domestically or you don't get a Wallabies jersey unless you're one of the super-duper exceptions. They're saying you can go wherever you want, you can play wherever you want. If you're the best, um, we'll have you. Which, if you've got a big enough base of players, then hopefully some elite guys can be playing overseas, potentially getting even better and, and learning about other teams, learning about styles of play from the Northern Hemisphere um, learning off coaches that we're just not going to be exposed to in the Australian competition of Super Rugby. And you can also have more opportunities in the Super System for players who fill the fill the void left by the guys who go overseas. But you've got to think, like, is it harder then to develop your 9-10 combination, your 10-12, sorry, your 12-13 combination, some of your forward front row combinations because people are spread all over the world? So it's a compromise. You, you may get individuals playing better, but you've got to have a really strong culture and a strong system when they all come back into camp and, and play together. And I think that also, um, that probably supports my um, thought, which is my thought on the cricket, my thought on rugby is like, you've got to just pick and stick. Like you see the potential in these guys each year. You pick based on the potential and some on performance. And then the next year, guys are, well, you know, he didn't perform, so no more. Like, the, the potential is still there, and it only develops with sustained effort. Um, we can't turn over so much. Um, and particularly when they're overseas, I think you're going, to really valuable that, you're going to really value that time in camp. It's going to be even more critical to have them in early and, and keep them together for longer periods. Yeah, I think my first problem with it is probably one that Leo's identified in, in cohesion and not having players that are going to be in the national setup playing with each other often enough. And that's been the argument in Australia when we went to five, four or five super rugby teams up from three that we lost that cohesion um, that we used to have at the national level. So I think that's going to be a big issue for us and it already is an issue. Again, in terms of opening the floodgates, letting anyone play from anywhere, I really think it's going to damage super rugby in this country from an Australian perspective. We're not going to have the talent locally to make those teams competitive, particularly when there's five teams. I think it's going to be a real issue for us to compete with the likes of New Zealand. And we're already struggling at this point. So if more players take the money, there's more incentive to leave because you can play for the Wallabies regardless of where you are. Japan's going to be an issue for us. France is going to be an issue, more of an issue, because there's nothing holding you back, earning the income there. 
and then getting selected for the Wallabies and getting paid whatever, $10,000, $15,000 a test. Um, so I think teams like the Waratahs, you know, Brumbies, Force, particularly teams like the Force and, and the, the Rebels, I think it's going to be really tough for them to compete. So in, that, in what you're saying, like that means potentially Rugby Australia has had to weigh up, are we willing to put our slightly unstable, unsteady um, five super teams out there against a policy which maybe undermines them slightly, to which I would say, well, maybe they need to uh, loosen the laws around the super teams. If, if we don't have the base of players at the moment, not to say we won't get them eventually, but why wouldn't you then loosen up the laws around how many internationals or sort of overseas players you can sign um, into the super rugby sides to do a bit more of a blend like the force did, which is it, you've just got to frame as a short-term thing, right? Because then you say in the next five years, we're going to put all this money and effort into developing domestic players, but that's only going to, you know, a 13 year old now is only going to be signed to play at 17, 18 in a super side or as a, as a reserve, as a squad player, in five years' time. So we put this in place as a temporary thing. We recruit like mad. We strengthen our super teams. We get guys playing at a higher level. And then we've got to have those next generation of guys coming through. Like if you do all that in in unison, I can see that working. But I think you're right that it, it risks uh, the super rugby strength, the strength of those sides if you do nothing else. And it was a similar theater I had if we were to propose to open up super rugby generally and let anyone play for anyone so you could have as many new zealand players as you wanted playing for the waratahs or whatever my fear was that because of the depth in new zealand they would start to really dominate all of the australian franchises with all their players and yeah the australian franchises would get better but from a wallabies perspective we get worse because we'd have less of the Australian players getting exposure to the top level of rugby and New Zealand again would get stronger because they've got more players to choose from, from 10 super rugby teams or whatever. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of problems here. I think at the moment we've got a decent system in place. We're being a little bit, I think too hasty with this. I'd like to see if we, if we were going to, you know, change the rule, don't have a, a cap quota or anything that you need to meet to say, well, you can pick five players from overseas that aren't signed in Australia. Each each time in the squad, you can pick five players. And so that means you can pick a skeleton. There's not that many guys at the top level overseas that you would pick anyway. So I think like five places would cover it off. Well, what is more important, do you think, is it that we have super rugby teams that are successful or is it that we have a national team that's successful? Because that's really sort of what it comes down to what you're that's putting the more trade-off. I think both. Because I at think the moment, can... if we keep the status quo, we have Super Rugby and national teams that are not successful. So you can't pick both. But I don't, I, I... I don't think that's true, though. The Reds, like teams like the Reds are showing that you can build from the bottom up and be really competitive with New Zealand Super Rugby franchises. I think we'll see that going into next year. I think we'll see them be even more competitive. Um if you do things the right way. And so you'd have to say that's well, the exception of the rule. Like how many times have teams done a domestic rebuild and it hasn't worked out? We, I mean, we've won in the last 10 years, we've won two Australian, like two Australian teams have won super rugby titles. 
in the proper form. The next year it'll be one in the last. Oh, no. No, that's that. But yeah, yeah. if you looked at South Africa's success as well, they hadn't won it since the Bulls, right? Back in like 2012, no, 2010, 2012. The Lions came close a couple of years, but yeah. But that's my point that it's difficult. New Zealand's the best, you know, country in the world playing rugby as the best players. We're reacting off the back of another bad letters led defeat, which is fair enough, but we have to keep this in context. We play the best team in the world the most regularly and we keep getting reminded that we're um, inferior to them on a regular basis. But it doesn't mean that we should throw out the system that we have that, you know, if you look back to 2015, the same system was working. We made the World Cup final. We just won a title with the Waratahs. So what's changed from then to now in terms of, is it because we've leaked more talent out of the system? I they don't must know. be worried about that. They must be worried about more players. But we're just going to keep. Overseas. We're so, going to get guys going to Japan and MLR because they can earn more money than staying in Australia. So, so I think it's going to cripple our domestic system. So Sonny Bill on Rugby Heaven was talking about this, and he last week before all this sort of was proposing the same thing that we need to open it up a little bit. He's a moron. Absolute moron. A lot of points he makes like are, not the, are, not, are not maybe the smartest. Um, but his point was that you are going to attract a higher group of players, potentially that are seeing a future in league, which you can earn more money um, domestically as maybe not the very top, top level player as a league player. But if you can go overseas and play rugby union there, does that mean you're more likely to continue through your what you played at school and play rugby union overseas and then are you going to attract more people from rugby league this way i don't think so you would have already done that already you would have been like oh well you can earn a million dollars a year in france playing rugby you probably don't even care about the wallabies at that point and you go from playing high school league to convert into rugby like and go to France and, and get paid. But I don't if see we, how that if changes we had Semi Rad Radra leaving league and going, and we were like, cool, you can play for Australia as soon as you start doing it, we'll pick you straight away. We would then have one of the best 13s in the world. I don't know. I, I, honestly, I honestly think this is a really, really bad move for, for Super Rugby. Like this could end to uh, lead to the end of Super Rugby, I would say. I, I'm not sure I'm willing to be that dire about it but i, but I stand Africa. by yeah but but what i say is that if we do this in isolation i think it, it is a move which is arguably undermining super rugby because it was a rule that was in place to try and keep good players in the domestic system so that was the only pathway for most players to be wallabies eligible now what you see is guys like sean mcmahon karevi Arnold, Coleman, like various players, you know, went overseas because money was more important at the time. And the thing is, it's it's like one in the hand, two in the bush. Once they're in that system, they're making the money and they're developing relationships and they're enjoying, you know, being around the world. Like put the COVID stuff that's disruptive aside. What if the, you know, national honours and representation isn't a, a strong enough motivation isn't a strong enough incentive what probably makes it a stronger incentive is the wallaby 
is being one of the best teams in the world and being very successful and enjoying all the spoils of winning a World Cup, winning the Bledisloe, winning the Rugby Championship, winning series uh, against travelling teams, winning um, you know Grand Slams in in the November window. Like if we were doing that regularly, how many players, how many more players do you think would be like, you know what, I would like to play for the Wallabies because they are at yeah. the apex of their sport. Success success. Yeah, and, and no you know, I want to be on that tour. Want to play for the All Blacks. That's like. right. I want to be on that tour. I want to go to the Northern Hemisphere. I want to beat up England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales, and be one of the few players who's had a Grand Slam and have the party on the plane back. Like that is a big. That has got to be a bigger motivation compared to now, where it's like, well, I can play for the Wallabies and it'd be great because I, you know, I'm pride in my country and I want to play at the highest level. But the team's kind of getting just thrashed a lot of times. Um, each each season and you know there's going to be a lot of heads down and a lot of you know coaches you know rebuilding and you know you get blamed when you have a bad game and you get chucked out like all that sort of stuff builds right so so i back to archie's original question i think you want to have a really strong national side i don't think you can afford to undercut the pathways to get there which is why if you open up eligibility you give yourself the best opportunity to pick the strongest players, but you then need to look at all the pathways the players come from, whether it's I'm just elite, I play a few years in Australia, I leave, I go overseas, I stay elite, or all the different domestic pathways. There needs to be a heap of support there to to support this change because otherwise I agree with Toby. I think it's a huge risk that Super Rugby um, diminishes in quality in terms of the strength of the Australian teams. And when we're trying to get to a a 12 is it a 12 team competition next year with five Australian teams like we've put our neck out there and said we're gonna force it to be five Australian teams we're not willing to, to do anything else but that it's only going to last so many years if these teams are just getting buried and the the broadcast revenues aren't aren't being supported by the the viewership it's it just won't work long term the, the 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 accountants will just turn around and go ain't worth it boys take your money somewhere else it, it is annoying how short-term we all are these days in terms of we want results, we want results now, otherwise we will chop and change everything before anything gets a hand. It's all it's return like, on investment capital. At what point is there going to start being questions over Rennie's coaching because we've had two big losses in the last two years with this? I'm, sure, not... I'm sure if we have another big loss to the Springboks in the rugby championship, there will start to be questions about whether he's the right man for the job. Rightly or wrongly, I think wrongly is definitely the way, but they'll they'll come up. There's honestly not more than six players that you could name right now that would be selected in the Wallaby squad, which is my point. And there, there rarely is that aren't playing in Australia. And that will change, obviously, with, you know, this new rule. But we're not missing out on that many players from overseas. We're really not. There's some really key guys that we're missing that I think could make a big difference, but it's not more than half a dozen. That's that's right now though as well, Toby. Yeah, remember correct. Like the last correct. Six so why years. are we why are we changing this? No, no, just think about like five or six players. Like we've at been a time. we've been struggling for a few years. There's other players who've come and gone who you might have been able to pick in the last six years who who maybe. aren't in the selection frame anymore. But it's all about continuity. And and how many more each? If each year there's six elite players that you can't get, that's six guys. You know, you're picking the yeah, second best why, guys for six positions. That's why I'm you think saying you have five. You have five 
players that you can pick. Yeah. Which, which is a different Australia. rule, which would probably work as well. And so you can, yeah, you can go after the guys that you really, really want. South Africa can only do this whole thing where they pick from anywhere because they have such a big player pool domestically in that country. So their five super rugby or this five pro rugby teams or ultimate rugby championship or whatever crappy name they picked, um, they can actually afford to do that with players playing in France and Japan and still have competitive teams in that competition because of the number of players, professional rugby players in their system. We don't have the luxury of that, of that system. New Zealand, why wouldn't they be doing this as well if it was such a good idea? They're doing, they've made, they've been very much against this sort of rule um, because they know what it's going to lead to. It's going to cripple their domestic system. It's going to mean that your whole Crusaders team would probably leave because they can earn twice as much overseas. And I really think that if this is our long-term plan, you can say goodbye to the force, you can say goodbye to the rebels, and we might have to survive on, say, three teams where we can actually field a competitive team for each of those which means probably Super Rugby be shrunk to 10 teams, maybe 12, and New Zealand will probably just continue to dominate. From a Wallabies perspective, maybe it will work out, but I honestly think every other tier of rugby will suffer. If you do nothing else. Right, because if there's, there's going to be ways... If you scrap the rule and say we'll pick from anywhere, yeah. I honestly but, think people will... Their eyes will look everywhere and they'll see that the money isn't in Australia. Yeah. So what That's, is the point of staying? Hence, hence my point about like they've got to do something significant step change to support the next five years of bringing junior players through so that the ranks of the super teams get filled. And to your point about New Zealand as well, like they're in the luxurious position of having been elite for so long. They've got good systems in place. There's probably ways to make ultimate, uh, sorry, alternate systems work, but no one's making a change. In, in their situation until yeah. they start falling away. There's, there's no need and it would and, be criticised. And also they've just had private equity investment into their game. Yeah, so I mean, there's been financial got... stresses on New Zealand because they're trying to cough up money to pay people to stay because they are feeling the pressure that players want yeah. more money, which they're but There's an incentive really... now for their domestic system to keep or to, to thrive more even though they've been thriving in terms of performance, they want them to thrive financially. Yeah. Maybe Australia needs to be looking into some sort of private equity investment into our game to enable us to pay players properly mm. and to retain top talent. Um, I think that would be another option that we should be looking at if there's suitors that are actually interested in, in putting money in because you've got to think, what is your return on investment for That's Australian it. rugby? Is, At the moment, the, it's probably not, it's probably not, not great. High. You're probably going to lose money. That's so it. we need to somehow frame that as an attractive proposition for overseas investors. Look, we can argue about this, I think, um, endlessly at the moment. We do have to talk about the other game from the weekend. So you talked about the depth of South Africa and the player pool they have. So we talked about last week, the team that they named was a... Uh, huge amount of different players from that final Lions test. Only, I believe, uh, the back five of their forward pack, as well as Cobus Reinach, um, were the only starters named in that. So that's a total of six. 
starters with nine changes here. Um, they took down Argentina 32 to 12. Argentina not managing to get over the try line here, relying on penalties, despite again having some areas of promising play. Um, again, they did have the majority of possession and territory, much like Australia. Um, but it just hurts when they can't um, get the same sort of penetration and the Springboks defence continues to stand up and shut down um, most teams that they come up against. We wouldn't say the Argentinian team is their top team either, but I guess they've done a bit of travelling around and um, well, had success against Wales, right? Oh, uh, that's not their normal. That's not their normal halfback. Their centres. That's a bit of a change in their centres. Um, Montoya has been the reserve hooker for a while. I guess they rotate him in uh, and out a bit. Montoya is now starting because you lost um, Creevy isn't with the team anymore. He's retired from. Like it's a lot of their top. It's a lot. Players, it's probably it's probably eighty percent. I reckon there's three yeah, or four guys. That's it. So, so I mean, and obviously South Africa's played many more than that that aren't their first pick who are playing as the Lions. Um, but Argentina's always, it's hard for them because they're always traveling. They've just gone um, through the Northern Hemisphere to, you know, they beat, beat Wales, but that's a, that's a Wales missing most of their key players to the Lions squad. Um, uh, yeah, t- tough, tough game for them. I think just, again, speaks to South Africa's depth. Um, you, you, particularly in their forwards, like they've, They've played a lot of their better forwards and and those guys really just physically dominate the game. They get them up the field. They draw penalties. Um, set piece sets a great platform for their more explosive and creative players. That's what this game amounted to. Lots of lots of um, Yanchis and and that and that's try from Farsi. Like that's just that they create the space and the opportunities for those sorts of um, point scoring and and the Argentinians. Just couldn't really stand up to it. So these two teams play again um, at Nelson Mandela Stadium this weekend uh, while we don't have a game um, from Australia and New Zealand and then they'll have a week off while they uh, travel to Australia after that. Um, what do you expect? Do you just expect more of the same? Springboks maybe bringing back a few more of their frontline players and again a dominant performance here? You'd have to think that the Pumas will be better for the hit out. But yeah, like you say, Arch, I expect the box to be topping up their talent levels across the park and particularly in the back line. Um, you know, they were able to get that first win, but they'll improve again with guys coming back and really look to be ramping up operations um, into the tougher teams like New Zealand and probably like Australia, really. Argentina, I'd say, will be the favourites for the wooden spoon this year, particularly given the amount of travel they're going to have to be doing. Um, and, yeah, I just I think the box are showing their class with the depth they have, and I think it's going to be such a good and interesting game to watch against the All Blacks when they're, they're both tested these teams that they're kind of at the peak of their powers at the moment. So there have been a bit of talk that the All Blacks might shuffle their team for the next Bledisloe. Um, do you think that the current, what we saw um, maybe maybe in the first test of the All Blacks team with Anton Leonard-Brown rather than Rico in at 13, do you think that's the strongest lineup um, they can have at the moment? 
maybe at the moment, assuming yeah, the injured players aren't available. I don't know if um, I don't know if they'd be. I assume they pick Sam Kane at seven instead of Papali. Maybe I mean Papali is been recently impressive as has a lot. Yeah, he's still a great player, but but, yeah. but I think they'd be taking Sam Kane. There's a yeah, couple yeah, of people. Yeah, okay. Other than but yeah, I mean it is. But... I I don't think the Barretts. I don't think any of the Barretts own a starting spot. I think that's legit. Um, they're great off the bench. Like to be able to put Geordie in at fullback or on the wing late in the game to bring Bowden in late in the game. Scott Barrett's a, a weapon in second row. Like I think I still think Brody and Sam. Uh, White Locker the best. I think Moang is stronger. I think McKenzie is just, um, it's just so dynamic, and he and he's getting much better at um, playing, like playing his hand at the right times. I still think he's a potential weakness, but it's getting harder and harder to exploit him because he's making better decisions. He's not isolating himself and getting overrun when he's sort of scooting around laterally in the backfield. So this is this is this team with. Probably ALB in the centers, but only because I'm probably risk averse. You put Rico in the centers, you you give yourself a bit more um, firepower, and and maybe you you take a few more risks. I, th- I think ALB against the the Springboks is probably the way to go. It's, it's a very good team, and the Springboks have a very good team too. And the schedules know what they're doing with the the final two rugby championship games as a double head to head All Blacks Springboks. That's that's the way to to structure it to keep the excitement in who will win this competition. All right. We'll leave it there before we get too down in the dumps. Um, We will get back to you guys next week, probably late in the week. Once we have the lineups for that Bledisloe three first uh, test in Australia round at Perth. And we can recap what's happened in that second Springboks Argies game as well. Until then, make sure you are keeping up with us on social media at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram and at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter. Um, make sure you have liked and subscribed wherever you do listen. We appreciate any feedback from you guys every time you want to give it. Um, stay safe. It's a world that's now most of the countries in rugby championship are now going to be affected by COVID, it looks like, over the next few weeks. So, Sports, one thing we can get around and something to look forward to. But until next week, keep on running. Run.